Okay, praise the King. Glory to God. We're getting ready to go here. Has everybody had a great day today? Amen. I knew Cliff. He has a great day. He's just like me. He has a great day. He makes his days good. Amen. I mean, you know, I mean, you have to do that, right, Cliff? I mean, that devil, he'll show up if you'll let him, won't he? He sure will. He'll show up at your house. You know, he'll show up at your work. He'll show up at the gas station. He'll show up everywhere if you'll let him. You don't have to let him in. Praise God. Yep. Michael, you doing good today? Doing good. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So praise the Lord. We are looking forward to uh, finishing up the outline that I've been teaching on. And uh, I've got two more I'm working on. So, and that's what I do in my spare time. Make outlines to teach from, you know. So, you know, so tomorrow, so that, you know, some of you know. But uh, tomorrow we're going to, of course, I've got to do a whole lot more studying tonight and tomorrow. But uh, I've already got a whole bunch of my studying done. But we're going to GLC tomorrow night. We leave, I think, at 8 o'clock or something like that. And we fly out to Midland, Odessa. And then we uh, are going to be in the studio at GLC uh, Thursday morning. <clears throat> I'll make about eight 30-minute uh, television shows. And uh, we'll record them. Then 8 o'clock that night, we will be on live uh, from 8 till 10. And then we'll pray for people and answer people's questions. We usually get back to the hotel about 1 or 1.30 when we do that. And then uh, 8.30 next morning, we'll be back in the studio again to make seven more shows. And then about 8 o'clock that night, we'll fly back home. We'll be home tomorrow night about 9 or 9.30. And then we'll have a really good night's sleep. And Saturday, we've got a healing school. And in church Sunday, you know, praise the Lord. So, like I say, if you don't have nothing to do, you need to come go with me. I, I can keep you busy. <laughs> praise the Lord. I love serving the Lord and doing things for the King. A while ago, I was presented a scripture. I'm going to start out tonight with this scripture. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for Tuesday night Bible study. We praise you and thank you and worship you that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords and God of gods. We're thankful for the Word. And Lord, it's amazing how many times we read the Word, but we really don't pick up on so much of it, even when we read it. But Lord, help us to understand this book and reveal this book to us so we can hide it in our heart, so we will not sin against you, so we will be able to live out our days on this earth and be blessed while we live with no sickness and no disease. And we give you all the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Some of the stuff I've been talking about lately uh, on Sunday, especially last Sunday, about how we're teaching or talking about this series about, you know, can you lose your salvation? Well, Last Sunday, we talked about not losing your salvation, but what happens to you if you're saved if you sin. And it's really serious stuff. You know, I mean, we, we, we don't realize there's a consequence when we as Christians sin. But I was handed this scripture tonight in Ezekiel 18, uh, verse 24. And I thought, you know, I probably read that several times, but it, it never meant what it did tonight when I read it. It's like I got new revelation on this. You know, I've prayed for so many people in the healing ministry, 
I've seen the Lord heal so many people. I mean, many of those, hundreds of them, thousands of them. I've seen him do, I guess we're into the hundreds, at least, of miracles now I've seen God do. I'm talking about significant miracles. I've seen him do so many wonderful things. But some people I can't get healed. Some people make sure what I do, they die. You know, I mean, I do everything I know to do, and they still die. Well, every once in a while, God gives me another little golden nugget to show me why these people don't get healed. And here's one of them in Ezekiel 18:24. But when the righteous, now that's you and me, that's the Christians. When the righteous turneth away from his righteousness. When the righteous turn away from his righteousness and commits iniquity. It's not dangerous to sin as a Christian. Oh yeah? Let's read a little further. And commit iniquity or sin and doeth according to all the abomination that the wicked man does. Shall he live? Hmm. All his righteousness that he has done shall not be mentioned. In other words, it ain't going to be remembered. How would you like to be a child of God and you live to be 50 years old or 60 years old and you have served the king diligently all those years and all of a sudden one day somebody, you meet some new friend and they entice you to go out and start sinning with them. And you know how this you know how this happens to so many people today? Today, the sin that's the most blatant is men and women, let's say they're Christians. They love God and go to church, and maybe they've been married and divorced once, twice, three times. So then after that, they're a little gun-shy. So instead of getting married, they just move in with somebody. Mm. God say that's wrong. Boy, is that wrong. What is it we do not understand? Thou shalt not commit adultery. If that's wrong. So he said, if we do that, if we've been a great Christian, lived in obedience to his word, maybe you were married... Maybe you were married 30 years and 40 years. Maybe your spouse died. And then you think, well, I don't want to get married again. But I'd like to have the companionship of a lady. Or maybe it's a woman. She wants companionship of a man. Well, I'll just find me a boyfriend and we'll just move in together and just live together. God will understand. You know, he knows I need a companion. I don't think he understands. Do you? I know he don't understand. So, but you were a great Christian, you were a Sunday school teacher, uh, you were a lady of the church or a deacon of the church, whatever you were, and you've done everything and you had a stack of rewards built up. And then you are deceived by someone, which is the enemy, and you turn away from the righteousness and the righteous ways, and you go the way of the wicked. God says, that's sin. All the things you've done will not be mentioned or remembered And then he says, in his trespass that he has trespassed, and in his sin that he has sinned, in them shall he die. 
That's scary, isn't it? Do you want to know why I can't get some people healed? They have committed the sin unto death. When they committed the sin unto death, you can't do nothing. They just die. Yeah. All I can say is we plead, we stand in faith, we never stop praying for people because I don't know who's committed the sin unto death and who hasn't. But the New Testament talks about a sin unto death too, doesn't it? In First John 5. First John chapter 5, he says, anyone that has committed the sin unto death, he said, I tell you, you're not even supposed to pray about that because I ain't going to hear you. Now, who would think the king would do us like that? Well, he knows what that sin unto death is, and it can be a different thing for different people. And if you've committed the sin unto death, and only he knows, he cuts you off. So what's the secret here, Sheriff? Don't sin. I mean, that was easy for you, girl. You got it, don't you? Walk holy before the king. Do what he says day in and out, and then don't never quit serving him. Right, girl? And you get to walk in divine health when you do that, don't you? You don't have to have no problems in your physical flesh. But if we don't serve him, we can have all kinds of problems in our physical flesh. And the way we are today, the average Christian today has no knowledge that their sin is what's making them sick and afflicting them. They don't know it, do they? No. You know, I had a lady last time, or one of the times I was out on GLC, uh, I spoke about that, you know, that there is always a sin related to sickness and disease. And she called in, and, and she said, Mr. Scrivener, you can't be serious. She said, I'm 60-something years old. I've been a Christian ever since I was a young woman. And I've been to church all of my life. And I've never heard one preacher make that statement in my entire life. I said, what a shame. That's a fact. You sin, sickness is going to come up on you. Just like that little lady that was here the other night. Some of you might have been here when Jan gave her testimony the other night. Was you here, Sharon, when she gave that? When she said... After she come up and I prayed for her in 15 years, from her elbows down to her fingers on both sides, was numb. She hadn't felt anything with her hands for 15 years. And after she repented for her sins, she heard me teach the Word. She repented for all of her sins and came up and I just prayed a simple prayer and rebuked the enemy. Before she got to her seat, for the first time in 15 years, her hands and arms. Deborah, is that a blessing to see God do that for somebody, it's a blessing, isn't it? But see, she didn't know that that sin had turned that devil loose on her and her arms were, you know, the blood flow was cut off to them properly. Couldn't feel a thing from her elbows to her fingertips. Hadn't felt anything in 15 years. Yeah, and she had, yeah, she had all kinds of things wrong with her. And, and of course, the thing I thought about that when what you're saying there... She said when she went in for the test, they told her it could be one of three things of which lupus would be the, not the, the least of the three. So she was hoping it was going to be lupus. And, yeah. So, but now then she don't have it. Now then she's learned, hey, I don't have to have nothing. See, when you claim something, you get it, don't you, Sharon? But when you claim what the king says in his word, you get that too, don't you? Yes. And you don't have to be sick and afflicted anymore. And I'm telling you, walking free of pain is better. It is better. But you've got to serve God for that to happen. 
Now, this owner's manual that we live here, that we live in, that we read all the time, I think about what another gentleman told me a while ago. He said he read this on the Internet and he's heard it on the news or something here recently, and he was just talking to me about it, that in every state there's going to be a group of people meet to discuss the question, does God really exist? Has he ever existed? Is he real or not? That's dumb. I mean, that's stupid. I mean, I don't see how the devil could put that kind of thought in anybody's mind. God himself said in Romans chapter 1, Paul talking, he said, Everybody, everybody shall be held accountable to God, if for no other reason, because of the creation and the divine attributes of God. You know, when you back off and look at this earth sitting out here in space, I mean, we got a marble that's approximately 72 to 7,300 miles straight through that's rotating at 1,003 miles an hour that's going forward at 69,000 miles an hour that's making an orbit around the sun every 365 and a quarter days and it don't never vary and it don't never slow down and it's turning 1,003 miles an hour so Every 24 hours and zero seconds, it makes one exact revolution. And then as it goes, this 69,000 miles an hour forward velocity around the sun, which is an exact perfect distance from the sun, so that the magnetic pull of the sun will keep it exactly 96 million miles away from the sun. All that's a coincidence, don't you think? As an engineer, give me a break. I don't even have to be an engineer to be smart enough to know that didn't just happen. You know, God is real. You know, so when somebody says we're going to meet to have a discussion to see if God is alive or see if he really existed, hey, those people got a real problem. They got a real problem. He exists all right. And I got a feeling that in the not too distant future, there's going to be some things happen. I, I just, I think there's things going to happen in America and the world that is going to be so amazing. It's going to be beyond our wildest imagination. It, it's, it's something. But when you look at that scripture, when you think about Ezekiel 18:24, if you're a righteous person, what should that tell you you should never do? Don't get off track. If you get off track, and Cliff, since you and I are talking, me and you both know that somewhere along the line after, well, I, I got saved at 11. I, I think you were older than that when you got saved. But I think you said that you seriously got off the track after you got saved. Very seriously. Very seriously. So aren't you glad he's a merciful God? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because if he wasn't that merciful God, I know two men at least... That and right there and this one right here that wouldn't be here today, don't you? Right. Oh, David's holding his hand up too. <laughs> I think all of us would say, hey, if he wasn't very merciful, if he had wiped us out in our first sin, it would have been over a long time ago. So we're very grateful that the king is so merciful. But now that I've learned these things, and just like you, I want to walk holy before him. I don't want to get off base no more. Do you, Cliff? 
No, I want to walk just as straight down that path as I possibly can. I don't want to deviate right or left. Because back in those days, like Paul said, you know, I'd done these things out of ignorance, even to the point of killing Christians. You know, he said, I was zealous for God. He thought he was doing God a favor. And when he started killing Christians, the Lord showed up and said, Paul, what are you doing? He said, Lord, who are you? I mean, when he can, the king shows up and you see this bright light. And I can only imagine struck blind and everything else. And you hear a voice, Paul, Saul, what are you doing? He said, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. In other words, you need to stop this nonsense. You know, you need to serve me. You're zealous for me, but you're zealous the wrong way. Now then, go on to Damascus, and I'll send the prophet Bible there, and he'll lay hands on you, and you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I'll restore your eyesight. I'll get your attention. Then I'm going to bring you out here in the desert and train you for a while. Then I'm going to bring you to the third heaven. I'm going to show you some real stuff, and then I'm going to let you write half of the New Testament for me. Wow. Wasn't he awesome? But God, in his mercy, I mean, Paul, I mean, if, if God had destroyed us the first time we'd done something wrong, but he knew Paul's heart. He knew that he was zealous for God, but he was doing it the wrong way. But so many people today are not zealous for God. They're going the wrong direction. So there's a reason, there is a reason right there that so many people die when they get out of a righteous walk. Now, of course, today people think they're in a righteous walk when they're, if they go to church, uh, you know, every couple of Sundays or two or three Sundays or something, you know. I, I don't have to witness. I don't go have, to, have to go out and talk to people about Jesus. You know, I go to church, and I even let my wife tithe for me whenever she goes, you know. I mean, I'm really a good guy. Hey, Bobby, praise God. Come in. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We've been praying for you. Look, we need to pray for you, don't we? In the name of Jesus, sit down there. Can you sit down there? So sit down. Sit down. I'm going to pray for you right now. Yeah, sit down in that chair. Yeah. Well, just stay sat down. Get in there and sit down. You can. I get that big chair. Would that help? Maybe. Yeah, I'm starting to say. This man's undergoing a tremendous attack from the enemy. And we're going to pray for him right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I ask you to be merciful to this man. Merciful. He is one of your sons. Lord, you know his heart and you know everything he does. Lord, I ask you to be merciful, merciful. Show him mercy and grace. And we rebuke this devil of hell that's messing up his body. And we ask you to move by the power of your spirit, Lord, and heal him. Lord, you came to destroy the works of the devil on this side of the cross. And Lord, I am so grateful that we live on this side of the cross. When we have a Savior that defeated the forces of darkness. And Lord, we want to serve you. We want to be obedient to your word. And Lord, we ask you to be merciful to Bobby. Heal him. In the name of our precious Savior, Jesus, do a mighty work on him. Heal him and lift him up, Lord. Give him a good day today and tomorrow and every day. Lord, take all this liquid, this fluid off of his body that's coming in there. Take it away, Lord. 
and, and let him be normal. And so let him serve you, Lord. Let him be obedient to you and be about your word. In the name of Jesus, Hallelujah. Lord, I praise you and thank you for Hallelujah. being merciful thank to him. In Jesus' name. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Now then, sit down there. Can you, can you do that okay? Yeah. Okay. We'll get you there where you can. Yeah. Whatever it takes. Just let him sit down there. He can sit down there somehow, some way. Amen. Okay. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. <clears throat> We're going to finish up on this series that, that I've been, I went in and done some study in the Word of God about walking in the God kind of divine love. And that's what we've been talking about. And what it takes to walk in the God kind of divine love. And if we will do that, what God will do with us and for us and through us. If we're willing to put Him first and we're willing to walk in His kind of divine love. Now, that's not what you think love is. You know, it makes no difference. I'm not interested when people say, well, I think love means this. Well, I am not interested in what you think love means. I'm only interested in what the Word of God says about love. It says what love is. And, of course, it so clearly defines it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. Now, if you haven't read that regularly, you need to. Because most Christians don't even come close to walking there. We really don't come close to walking there. It's very difficult to walk there. I don't care who you are. It's so difficult. But if you want to see God do great and mighty things, you're going to have to base your life around the written word of the living God. I mean, I don't care whether you believe. If you don't believe God lives, hey, you've got a real problem. And, and the, reason, the reason God don't do anything for us today is because we in America have got to the point where we don't believe he lives. When somebody says, you know, I've never seen God do a wonderful, or not a single answer to prayer, or never seen Him do a miracle. Well, I didn't see Him do that either for about 40 years of my life. But the last 25 or 30 of them, let me tell you what. I mean, when you get to see God do what I saw Him do the other night, whenever I prayed for that doctor out in Salt Lake City, Utah. I mean, here's a guy that fell out of a tree 35 foot up on Tuesday. They had taken him, care flighted him out of the mountains in a helicopter, taken him to a big hospital out there, done a CT scan on him, and two hospitals confirmed the CT scan. His back is broken. I mean, it's totally destroyed in the bottom portion of it. And he ain't going to let them do surgery. He had been listening to some of my teaching. And so he called me on Sunday and wanted me and Cheryl to come out there on Monday and he bought us an airplane ticket, a round-trip ticket, to come out there to pray for him. And I told him, I said, you know, I'll pray for you right now, and God will heal you right now. Amen. And I prayed the prayer of faith for that guy at 10 o'clock at night, and God instantly healed that man's broken back. Oh. Now, let me tell you, if you don't believe God is real, you should have been out there when we got out there the next morning, when he picked us up at the airplane... And he's walking with no pain whatsoever. And all of his employees, I remember Dave, he had an employee. guy's name was Dave, great guy. He was walking down the road, and all of a sudden, we were going 
from the airport. We're driving back in, and he sees Gary driving the car. And he stops, and he's looking. And I said, he's amazed, isn't he? He said, well, he's wondering what I'm doing in the car. He helped carry me up the other night and put me in that bed. He's wondering how I'm in his car. I said, well, turn around and go back and tell him that Jesus healed you. So we turn around, we go back, and he pulls up, and Dave says, Boss, what are you doing out of bed? He said, not anything wrong with me. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh I said, Gary, get out of the car and give the man a hug and show him you're okay. So he opens the door, gets out, walks up to his employee, puts his arm around him, and says, I love you. And Gary push, I mean, Dave pushes him back, and he says, you can't do this. I thought to myself, we see a man do something, and we turn around and say, you can't be doing this. You talk about unbelief. You can live there, and you never get to see God do a miracle. Everywhere we went in the next two days, we was there all day Monday, all day Tuesday, and left Wednesday morning, and we taught the Word of God to many of those people. And they were all Mormons. Every one of them were Mormons. But God healed that Mormon. Now then, here's the thing. I had the privilege to go out there with a demonstration of the Spirit's power and show them that the God I serve is real. He healed a man over the telephone of a broken back that was a doctor. And everybody that knew him knew that he had a broken back. Now everybody knows he's healed. And he's still healed. And no pain. You know, when you get to see God do those kind of things, somebody says, is God real? It ain't difficult for me to be, I don't, you don't have to prove to me. Do you, Cliff? No, I know he's real. I've seen him do too many of those mighty miracles of healing. Nobody ever be able to tell you, Sharon, that God ain't real, will they? Never. That girl's had so many wonderful healings in the last year or last two years. I mean, it's amazing. But there's many of you in here have received wonderful things from God. I mean, you know, Rico, you know, he had an experience, fell out of a, a, I mean, building four floors up. You know, he should, he broke everything in his body. I mean, he should have totally died. But God told him, said, trust me. He didn't know what he was doing, but God showed him mighty revelations and things. And today, a man that had virtually every bone in his body broken, or at least many of them, Today, he's running around doing all kinds of wonderful things, serving Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Fell as a, he was a fireman in Dallas and fell four floors onto concrete, not onto a feather bed, on concrete, broke everything. I mean, wrist, hands, backs, I mean, you name it, it broke it in his body. But the Lord, on the, I think it was either just before he fell or on the way down, the Lord told him, said, Rico, all you got to do is trust me. Trust me. Well, let me tell you, when you fall in four floors, you better know God. <laughs> Is that right? You better know the king. Amen. But out of all that, he got to make a little trip to heaven. God got to show him some wonderful things. You ask Rico, Rico, God ain't really real, is he? <laughs> let me tell you, hey, nobody can convince you, can they? I mean, he is real. See, when you run into people like this, people that's seen God's miracles, that's been healed many times or whatever. That's heard his audible voice. I mean, God's spoken to me at least 30 times, maybe more in my life. But he's made a set of rules for you and me to live by. And he expects you and me to do this. Now then, if he has called you to service, and he has, 
Every one of us that are Christians are called to service, to walk in the God kind of love, and to be an example of Him to everybody we come in contact with. Now, if you're willing to do that, after you've done that and hid His Word in your heart and spent some time with Him, you can start praying in faith and you can see God show up and do great and mighty things. Now then, if He called you to do something and you don't do it, you, he will continue to work on you, maybe for years. But then eventually, he's going to get your attention. And you ain't going to like it, are you, Deborah? No, you ain't going to. So, when he calls, just do what he says, right? If he calls, just say, yes, Lord, here I am. What, where do you want me to go? I'm, I'll do anything you say, Lord. Uh, because fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Amen. And it'll increase your life. Now then, let's see what the Lord says here. Let's talk about this God kind of love. Let's go to Romans chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. Romans 12. Let's go over there. Now then, this God kind of love is the secret behind God's power. Walking in the God kind of love. Being a loving person. In Romans 12, 9, the king says, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. How many Christians do you know today that fit that criteria? Not a whole lot, is there? I was in a store. I guess it was... Last night, I guess, I stopped in there at a little gas station, and there was three or four ladies in there. I think two of them was working behind the counter, and the other two were doing something or buying something in a little convenience store or whatever. And one of them said something about a TV program that comes on at 6.30 in the morning and said, my kids are mesmerized by this thing. Well, the other lady said, good grief, I wouldn't let nobody watch that filthy thing. And I thought, wow. What is, what is this, I wonder? And one lady said, well, my kids love it. I can't get their eyes. They're just glued to it from the time it comes on till it goes off. And I thought, you know, here's one lady over here saying, I wouldn't watch that myself. And here's another lady saying her kids are glued to it and she loves it and the kids love it and she's going to let them watch it. You know, that lady can't be a Christian. Do you know that? She cannot know Christ. But she fits the criteria of many people that I know today. Many. But the Lord says there, abhor that which is evil. You know what abhor means? Hate it. You know, have nothing to do with it. Run from it. If it's evil, get just as far away from it as you can. If it's a wild show on television, don't watch it. I remember one night, I had, I, flipping through the channels, used to my little VHF, UHF, I watched 58 or 29. That's before 29 sold out and went to a difference. Now 29, I don't know. I hadn't seen it after they sold out. I watched it. I went over there two or three times, and it was so foul. I couldn't believe they had sold that station to a outfit that had such wicked stuff. But anyway, I would be flipping between channels. I had an old TV, so it would go from 58 all the way through every channel to 29. One night I happened to hit on one. I'm just going through them pretty quick. And when I happened to hit on one, 
And one of them had a fight going on on the platform. I mean, it was men and women. They were screaming, tearing at each other. I thought, good grief, what is this? So I stopped for a few seconds. And there was, I mean, a woman up there was trying to kill a man, another man trying to kill another one. I mean, they were just wild fighting and everything else. And all of a sudden, they zoomed back a little bit, and on the background, back on the wall, said, The Jerry Springer Show. You knew that's what I was going, didn't you, Deborah? I thought, who in the world would watch such trash as that? I might have watched 30 seconds of that show, and I turned it off. I ain't never went back to it again. That thing has nothing, nothing that I want to see. You know, if you love to watch the Jerry Springer show, you need to get saved. You know, because you ain't saved. You can't, yeah, you need to change channels. Because if you've got the Holy Spirit in you and He's convicting you of things that are evil, let me tell you, that's evil. That's evil. If the Lord says abhor evil, I mean, He, he means get away from it as far as you can. I mean, just like I know lots of Christians that watch soap operas. I'm telling you what, I every once in a while will go and turn on one of those and watch a minute or two just to see what it's about. And I don't care what time of day when you turn one of them on. It ain't nothing but somebody doing somebody wrong. And if you're watching something like that on a regular basis, <laughs> that's what you're feeding in your heart. That's what's going to come out of your mouth. And you're going to have problems and sickness and disease because you're not hating evil. And that's evil. We as Christians are going to have to learn to stand our ground for holiness. Get away from wickedness. You know, I mean, it's time the church becomes the holy instrument that God wants us to be. I mean, holy. And when we do, we don't do that. So he says there, abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. Cleave to it. You know, so this is something he tells us to do. Then in verse 10, he says, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in Honor preferring one another. You're supposed to love each other. You're supposed to pray for each other. We're supposed to meet each other's needs. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Walking in the God kind of love. 1 Corinthians 5.1 Since this is a place that so much of the church is living today, and it's obvious that they live like this then also. So we'll see where the church lived and what Paul thought about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. I quoted this scripture to a man one time in my office, and he thought I'd gone crazy. He said, Thurman, there ain't no such thing as what you just said in the Word of God. I said, well, let me open my Bible, and let me read it to you directly out of the Word of God. I might have missed a word or two or three, but I had it down pretty good. And when I read it right out of the Word of God, he said, I have never, ever, ever heard that scripture preached on in my life. I said, well, it doesn't surprise me, you know, because this is not what makes people feel good. God has some requirements, and he expects us to be holy. Now, look what he says here in 1 Corinthians 5.1. And this, this was 2,000 years ago. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. Now, if you don't know what fornication means, it means having sex out of wedlock. That's what it means. There is fornication among you and 
such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles. In other words, the heathen don't even do this. And y'all are doing this in the church. And he says that one should have his father's wife. Here is a man and his son living in the same house. And obviously the father may be married a younger woman. And while he's out running around, the son is having sex with his dad's wife. Is that what that's saying there? That's what that's saying. I mean, and he says, and you are puffed up in verse 2. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. You just welcome him in. Tell him, come on, it's okay, God understands. He's gracious and graceful. He'll forgive you. Ask him to forgive you today, and you can go back and do it again tonight. God understands. I don't think so. Do you? Not hardly. Not at all. Let's see what Paul says here. For I verily am as absent in body, but present in spirit, I have judged already. Oh, wait a minute now. Wait, what did he say? That what, uh, judge not lest you be judged. Who's God talking about when he says judge not? He's talking about you and me not judging the lost world. When he says judge not lest you be judged, he's talking about condemning or judging the lost world. But when he comes to the church, what are we supposed to do when you see a brother or sister sinning? Tell them. You are absolutely here to talk to them. Sit down with them. Paul says, I'm judging this person. He says, for as verily as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, I have judged already as though I were present. You're supposed to judge the church. When the church is doing something wrong, you're supposed to confront them. Hey, you're a Christian. You tell me you're a child of God. You're supposed to be living holy. And you're not. I understand you're going out lying, stealing, cheating. I mean, you're taking the widows' houses away from them. What do you mean doing such things? God says we're supposed to help each other. He says, but I have judged already as though I were present concerning him that has done this deed. So you see somebody that's living with somebody in the church. Oh, a lady today. I was talking with a lady today. And she said, she said, I've got somebody, she said, I'm a Catholic, and said, you know, I've been listening to your teaching the last three or four months, and said, it has lit my fire. She said, I had no idea what this book says until I started reading what you started teaching. And she said, my Bible says what you say on them tapes. I said, well, praise God. Isn't that amazing? We got the same Bible. Her Catholic Bible said the same thing my Christian Bible did. Isn't that awesome, Cliff? That's awesome. So she said, I had no idea what I could do. But she said, I want to go pray for this woman that's sick. I said, well, first thing you want to do is go over and find out what her sin is. She said, Thurman, you mean I need to ask her if she's sinning? I might offend her. I said, ma'am, that's why she's sick. I said, if you're afraid to ask her, take her some of my tapes. I'll tell her. I ain't ashamed of the Word of God. I said, that's why I get so many people healed. They repent of their sins, right? When you repent of your sins and do what God says, He says if you will repent, providing you had not committed to sin unto death. And we know the sin unto death must be pretty wicked, right, Cliff? It is wicked. It is wicked. 
Because <laughs> I was talking to Cliff the other night. He said, I've done everything a man can do wrong in my life. <laughs> and he said, I did it several times. And he said, God still was merciful and forgive me. So if he's that merciful, pray. Aren't we glad, Cliff? He is very glad. I mean, and we're all very glad that we have such a gracious and merciful and mighty God. He's far more merciful than we think. But he's telling us to straighten up our act. And I told her, I said, ma'am, if you don't go over and find out why this woman's, what her sin is, you probably won't be able to get her healed. I said, she's going to have to repent of whatever sin she's doing. And if she does, then she can get healed. But he says there in verse 4, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, and my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 5, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now think about what Paul's doing here. Think about what he's saying. What if they don't do nothing but continue to let this man live in this sin? And then let's say he lives in that for a year or five years or whatever, and then he dies. What's going to happen to him? The soul is not going to be saved. He's going to hell. Because the Word of God says, Paul again talking in Galatians chapter 5, people that commit adultery. He's talking to Christians. People that commit adultery and many other wicked things he names there, but that's one of them. And since that's what we're talking about, sex sins, he said, those people that do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, if you live, if you enjoy living in a sexual sin on this earth, you certainly will not enjoy being in heaven with God. Because there ain't going to be no sex sin in heaven. There ain't going to be none of these sins. So if you enjoy worshiping and praising and loving and walking holy and obedient to God here on this earth, you're going to love being in heaven. You're going to love it. Because that's what we're going to do up there. We're going to worship and praise the King. And we're going to walk pure and holy in the Spirit. I mean, it's amazing. But he says here, deliver this wicked one unto Satan. I thought we were trying to get people out of Satan's hands. But here, in this case, this man is doing something so wicked that Paul says, even the heathen don't do this. Well, let me tell you today, the heathen don't think twice about doing something like this. But let me tell you something else. The church don't think twice about this today either. You have no idea how many people I minister to in the church that's living in sexual sin. But multitudes of them well, all I got to say is, if I was living in sexual sin and I got a hold of what this word says, you know how much longer I'd live in sex sin? It's over. There ain't nothing on this earth good enough or enjoyable enough for me to spend eternity in hell for. Amen. Nothing. Nothing. I'd go lock myself up in a, in a closet if I had to. To walk clean and pure before God so at least I could go to heaven when I die. Because living on this earth is short. Even if you live a hundred years, it's short. You don't have any idea. When you're, when you're 15 years old, 
You want to get 21 so you can vote, or 18, whatever it is now, and that sounds like an eternity away. Three to five years is an eternity when you're 18 or when you're 15. But when you get past 21, y'all notice how fast they go by when you get past 21? One day you're 21, then you're 31, then you're 41, then you're 51, 61, 71. You think, where did they go? It's amazing, isn't it, David, how fast they go by. They really go by. But here, we need to take people that are living in sin, and the very first thing we need to do, we need to go to them and confront them with their sin and tell them what they're doing wrong. But let me tell you what. You better be walking holy before God yourself, because if you got some kind of sin in your life, the devil knows it. And you have never been so exposed. And I, I'm going to tell you, I'll give you an example of how this works. It happened to me. And I'll give you an example of how the devil knows. I have tried to walk holy in obedience to God's Word all my life. But I remember many years ago when I was working for a corporation, and some of you have heard me tell this story, I was in a big hurry, which I usually am, and I had another guy right on my heels, and I run up to a door up at our, in the office area of the building, and I grabbed that door to push it to go in, and somebody had locked it. So when I turned the doorknob, it didn't turn. I was expecting it to, and I was in a hurry, and I was really walking fast. And so when that door didn't open, the door didn't move. And so I bumped the door, and the guy behind me running by me here and mashed my nose into the door in front. Bam! I said, who in the hell locked that door? I could talk about hell all I wanted to. Nobody ever said nothing about it. But I used it in the wrong context that day. See? That's the only foul word I ever used in the last many years. But I'll just use it right now just to give you an example. I unlocked the door, opened it, and one of my Christian sisters was standing on the other side of the door. She said, hi, Thurman. She heard what I said. She never said a word. Never said a word. But about three or four years later, or a few years later, we were in a manager's meeting with about 25 managers and supervisors and, and uh, all kinds of people, and they were using some of the most foul language. I mean, GD, SOB. I mean, they were using some foul words. And I heard all I could stand. And I said, you know, we're all educated people in here. I said, surely we can discuss our problems without all this profanity. And my little Christian sister stood up and said, Thurman, don't you profess to be holier than thou? I remember three years ago right out there behind that door. You run in the door and you said, who in the hell locked this door? Don't, I mean, when you go to witness somebody, you better make sure your plate is clean. Because if you don't, that devil will call it back and he'll even use your own Christian brothers and sisters to judge you. I thought right there, I just sat down. But it did stop the profanity. But you know, I thought, I have got to be perfect in what I do. I can't use a few little foul language here and there out with the guys. i got to watch every word that comes out of my mouth 24-7. And let me tell you, I've done it since then. I've, those, those wicked words are not in my vocabulary. 
They're not there. I don't use them. I talk about hell a whole lot. But I'm talking about that bad place that Jesus talked about. And I'm using it in the right context. So nobody condemns me for that. But you have to really be careful. So if you go to turn somebody over to the devil, you better make sure your walk is clean. I mean, it better be clean. Now then, why would we want to turn somebody over to the devil anyway in the church? Because if we don't turn them over to the devil and the devil destroy their flesh now, if they continue to live in that sin, they will die and go to hell, according to that scripture. He says, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Now, who kills the flesh? The devil. Sure he is. He's the author of death. That the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So if you don't turn those people over to the devil, or if they don't repent and start walking in obedience to God's word and stop sinning, if they continue to live in that sin for an extended period of time, I don't care if they say they're washed in the blood of Jesus. When they die, they're going to hell, according to the word of God. And I'll tell you, that's scary. I'm not going to put God to the test. Are you, Deborah? I'm going to walk holy. Ain't nothing on this earth worth going to hell for, is it, girl? Not one single thing. Nothing. Then Galatians chapter 5, verse 6 tells us how faith works. Galatians 5, 6 says, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision availeth anything, but faith which worketh by love. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. Galatians 5, 6. Faith worketh by love. So, somebody says, I got great faith. Okay. Then I can tell real quick, if I'm with you just a few minutes, I can tell whether you're walking in love or if you're talking evil about your brother or you're condemning people or whatever you're doing, I can tell real quick how much love you're walking in. You know why there's no power in the church today? There's not a whole lot of love in the church. Not a whole lot of love. We say we got love, but we don't know what it means. But when you go back to 1 Corinthians 13 and read verses 1 through 8, you find out what the God kind of love is. And you tell me you can walk in that. It's difficult to walk there. But obviously it's something that is achievable. Because God told us to do it, didn't he, Cliff? If he said do it, it may not be easy, but it is an obtainable goal, right? And we're going to do our best to get there, aren't we? Make note of what the devil throws in our path. We're going to do everything we can to walk in the God kind of love. Now then, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, let's look at this. In Matthew 5, 43, you have heard that it hath been said. Now, how many times have I heard people say, I heard the Bible says this. Or my grandmother told me this was in the Bible. And you hear all kinds of these stories. But Jesus says in Matthew 5.43, You have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as and hate your enemy. 
Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Is that going to be difficult to do? But is that a command from God for the church? Yes, it is. So you need to read that. But I say unto you, this is the king talking, the king himself, love your enemies. Love them. Some of us have trouble loving our brothers here in church. But God tells us to love our enemies. Bless them that curse you. How easy is it whenever somebody comes up and reads you the right act and get mean to you to reach over and put your hand on them and say, you know, I want to speak a blessing over you in the name of Jesus. Most of them say, I'm going to bless you, okay. <laughs> oh, that's what you used to be, right, Cliff? <laughs> you used to be a fighter, didn't you? Yeah. I, yeah, I'm going to bless you. You say something I don't like, bam, knock you down. You get up, bam, knock you down again. <laughs> See, I didn't know how mean Cliff used to be to me and him got talking the other night and I found out how mean he used to be. <laughs> I mean, he's come a long way. God really cleaned you up, hadn't he, Cliff? Yeah. Amen. Praise God. He was telling me all these things the other night. And man, he said, praise God for the mercy of God. I mean, he is so grateful for the mercy of God. But this is where lots of people live. Lots of people. I'm just picking on Cliff tonight. But I'm telling you, lots of people live there. Lots of people. I mean, they bless them okay, don't they, Cliff? I mean, they bless them. Man, let me at you. I'll bless you. And they may not, they may not if they're not a big old strong boy like Cliff, they may just walk off and say, Oh, yeah, I'm telling you, I'm going to get even with that dummy. I mean, you ever heard anybody say anything like that when they walk away? Yeah, that woman, that man, I'm telling you, do you hear what they said to me? I'm telling you, boy, I'm telling you, I, I do just get mad, 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 mad. None of y'all ever done that, have you? See? I mean, there is a man that used to, his wife said, after he met me and got saved, she said, I'm so glad my husband met you. She said, because used to, we could be going somewhere and somebody could nearly... Uh, hit us, cut us off, and nearly sideswipe us or something, and said my husband would get mad, and he'd drive 80 or 90 miles an hour trying to chase him down, pull right up on her back bumper, and you know, sling his fist at him and said, "Pull over, I'll get you," or pull right up beside him, try to pull over. She said, "Honey, you're going to kill us all." She said, when he got saved and learned how to love, she said, somebody passed it. Even if he was to nearly hit the front fender, he said, Lord, bless that guy. Watch after him. Protect him. She said, Thurman, you never know how much more comfortable it's made my life. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? But see, when, you're, when you get transformed and you know Jesus, you become a different creature. You're totally different. Because you hear what Jesus says. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Make them a pie. What do you mean? That guy, that woman next door, she talks evil about me all the time. Good. Let me make her a... What kind of, go over and ask, what kind of cake do you like? Well, I mean, I like chocolate cake, but uh, what's that got to do? Is that your favorite? No. A strawberry upside down is my favorite. Good. I'm going to make you one. A beautiful one. And I'm going to bring it to you and give it to you. Why? Because I love you. Because Jesus told me to love you. 
Did you know what that kind of love will do to people? Sure, it'll soften their hearts. It'll win them to Christ. I can't believe you do this to me. Well, I can do it because Jesus told me to do it for you. And when you do it, the, the king, he had, he had a, there was a method to his madness here. He knew what he was doing. He knows the hearts of people. And then he says, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. And they beat, beat you up and give you a bloody nose and you're going to get up and bless them and pray for them and just say, I'm, I'm going to lay hands on you and pray for you. People are afraid. You're not going to hit me back? No, I wouldn't dare do that. I'm just going to pray for you. And I'm going to ask God to bless you. It's like out there at work. Whenever they tried to, just before they fired me, after all those years, when the HR come, well, what do you pray for when you pray for your guys? I said, I ask the Lord to bless them, to bless this company, to keep them safe from physical harm. I said, you notice my department has the least amount of injuries of any department in the company. And I don't even put up y'all's placards or signs that y'all do. I just pray for them. And God protects them. And then when I, somebody gets sick, I pray for them. And God heals them. When John, the little Buddhist boy, when his wife had twins, he needed a week's vacation. He would never come to the prayer meetings. I told him, you don't have to come. If you don't want to, you're free to go. But we'll have a little five or ten minute prayer meeting before we go to work or in the middle of the day or something. And I would. But one day John came to me and said, Thurman, I need a week off. My wife's fixing to have twins. And I've got to be home with her. Well, at the end of that week, she still couldn't get out of bed. He'd come back and said, Mr. Scrivener, I hate to do this, but i got to have another week. He said, my wife cannot get out of that bed. She's in excruciating pain. And so we got our, 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 our first child, and now we got the two little ones. And he said, we really got our hands full. I said, John, I know you don't believe in Jesus, but I want to pray for you in his name. I'm going to ask the king of the universe to do a mighty miracle of healing and restoration on your wife. And I'm going to guarantee he's going to do it for her. And I prayed that prayer. He said, at this point, Thurman, I'll take anything I can get. God had him right where he needed him, didn't he, Cliff? And I prayed the prayer of faith for that guy. And the next day, he came back. And his wife said, you, he went home, and she was already feeling better. And by the next day, she's up walking around the house. And he told her, said, Thurman prayed for you. She said, well, something supernatural happened. Said, you go back out there and thank him for that prayer. And that woman was miraculously healed. Hey, does Jesus do wonderful things for people, even Buddhist? Sure he will. That's what he does wonderful things for. Because we are children of the Most High God. And he told us to pray for these people. Even those that hate us and despitefully use us and persecute us. We come in love and pray. And he says, that's when you pray in faith, walking in love. That releases my power to do these great and mighty things. And then he says, anything you ask me in the name of Jesus, if you walk in my love, I'll do it for you. Kind of awesome statements he makes, isn't it? Awesome, but the king's the one said all this. Then he says, verse 46, uh, verse 45, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil 
and on the good. And he sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Well, it's been a while since the rains fell on just or unjust in this area. But we sure would, Lord, like to, would love to have a four or five inch good, two or three soaking days soaking rain, and then we'd like to have a good one after that. After we got four or five inches to soak up the ground, after about two or three days of real nice slope, Lord, then we'd love to have a good one, you know, six or eight inches over the next week to let some water run to fill up some of these lakes and stock tanks and these people. I mean, we are a dust bowl. Do you all know that? Does anybody know we are a dust bowl and the lakes are 10, 15, 20, 25 feet below normal levels? I mean, you talk about some serious water. I mean, we are seriously dry. Why? I'm telling you, it's a judgment of God upon this nation. I mean, if it's not washing away the northeast, it's drought down here. And, and you talk about destruction in New Orleans, it, that place is never going to be the same. Still, New Orleans still this day is a dead city. A dead city. It may never be rebuilt. The bridges going across Lake Pontchartrain, all that stuff. Still can't get across there. It's amazing. A, a judgment of the Lord for our wickedness. But he says in verse 46, For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Oh, is it easy to love somebody that does good things for you? Oh, piece of cake. But you don't get no rewards for that. No rewards for that. So you go around loving everybody in the church and you'll get no rewards. Isn't that a shame? You've got to go out and love somebody else. I mean, we're supposed to be good. We're just, it's just normal. We're supposed to be good to each other in the church, aren't we? We're supposed to walk in love in here. It's easy. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans or the sinners do the same thing? You know, you're no different than them. And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans or the sinners do the same thing? I mean, you walk up and shake hands. Somebody, two guys are walking there. One of them is an old scroungy looking critter. You know, I mean, you know, he's, he's really something. Uh, and then David walks up. He's nice, dressed nice. You shake hands with him. But you look at the other guy and say, Ooh, I don't want to get close to him. He smells bad. <clears throat> That's not the way God told us to do it, is it, David? We're supposed to show no favoritism. It makes no difference whether one is dressed nice and one is dressed whatever. When You're supposed to speak to everybody the same. Treat every human being the same. It makes no difference if it's the CEO of the universe, the president of the, I mean, not the universe, the CEO of the company or the president of the United States of America or a little uh, worker working out in a ditch, digging a ditch, you are to treat every one of them with the same respect and love. No difference. That's what God's telling us there. And then verse 48, this is the kicker. This, I quoted this to this Catholic lady today and she said, Mr. Scribner, I had no idea that that was a requirement of God. I said, but he says, be you therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. So how are you supposed to love people? Like Jesus did. How are you supposed to treat people? Like Jesus did. How are you supposed to act? Like Jesus did. How much sin are you supposed to have as a Christian? 
None, just like Jesus did. No sin. And if we do it his way, it gives us prosperous, long, healthy life. And I love that. All of us do. So, But there's a requirement. You've got to do it his way. Then we go from that scripture in Matthew to Romans 5. Go back to Romans 5. Romans 5, 8. But God commendeth his love toward us. Romans 5, 8. Now, this is the kind of love that you and me are supposed to walk in. In Romans 5, 8, But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, let me tell you, it took a real Savior to die for a sinner. I mean, you know, I might, I might be able to do something good for some of you that were really, really something else. But if you're an old wicked sinner and always hurting me and treating me like dirt and beating up on it would be hard for me to die for you. You know that, Deborah? I mean, you're just like me. You have a problem with that, don't you? But aren't we glad God did it for you and me? Yes, we are glad he did it for you and me. Because this is the kind of love that God has. And he expects you and me to have that same kind of love. And if we have that kind of love, if we can walk in that, and that love can radiate from us, then he says, then as you demonstrate that love, everywhere you go, he said, then whatever you ask me for, I will do it for you. Wow. I love to see God do wonderful things. I just, I just... Oh, if I could walk in the Jesus kind of love 24-7. If I could only do that. But it ain't easy. It's not easy. It's difficult. But we can do it. Then he says in verse 9, Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. You talk about some love? He's got some love. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, in verse 10, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Now, if you let His life live through you, you will have eternal salvation. If you die to self, and let Christ's life live through you, then you will walk in the God kind of love to a degree, and you will be blessed with eternal salvation. Now, far too many people today have heard the old cliche, once saved, always saved. You can do anything you want to do and still die and go to heaven. And I'm going to tell you, that doesn't line up with the Word of God. does not line up with the Word of God. There's two big errors here. Number one, if you're a child of God and you belong to the king and you get off into sin, if you're really daddy's son or daughter and you get into sin, if you're on this earth and you're daddy's daughter and you get to sinning and doing something daddy don't like, what's daddy probably going to do to you? Oh, give you a spanking or cut some privileges or something, right? depending on how old you are. But he's going to do something if he's a good daddy. He ain't going to let you live in sin. 
And if you keep going in that to a degree, usually the punishment gets more and more and more severe. Now, with God, He loved us enough to save us up front when we were wicked, but He also says if you don't straighten your act up and walk in obedience, He said if you continue to live in sin and you fail to yield to Me, He said you will not be able to come into the kingdom of God. He has a whole list of things that if Christians do, in fact, I'll read them. Let's turn over to Galatians 5, and I'll read you a list of things that if you habitually do these things, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Wow, that's something. Open my Bible, brother, pick it, open it right to Galatians 5. Didn't even have to turn a page. Thank you, Lord. It's amazing. Galatians 5, verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest. The works of the flesh. Which are these? Now, if you're living in the flesh, these are the things you're going to do. Adultery. That's sexual sin. Fornication. That's another form of sexual sin. Uncleanliness. Again, that is another form of sexual uncleanliness. That all wickedness is something. And then lasciviousness. All of these fit in the realms of wicked sex sins. All four of these things. I mean, wicked, wicked things that people do. And then he goes and names a few, after he names all the sexual sins, then he goes to idolatry, witchcraft, Hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. I don't think I could be any clearer, do you? But when you really get down to the Word of God, well, let's read, let's read a couple more verses to see what the fruit of the Spirit is in verse 22 while we're there. This is where we're supposed to live as Christians. But the fruit of the Spirit, when we're walking in the Spirit, when you let the flesh die and you let the life of Christ live through you like He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, Against such things there is no law. Isn't that amazing? So if, you, if you're letting the Spirit lead you and direct you, that's where you're going to walk. And if you're letting the flesh lead you, you're going to walk in those other things. Now then, if you let the flesh lead you and you say you're a Christian and you live up there in Galatians 5, 19 and 20, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So going out and getting drunk every night, you better really enjoy it. Because there's consequences that go with it. It's going to be very serious. You can't go to heaven. And you certainly won't be able to get your prayers answered when you have a need. Because you're not walking in obedience to God's Word. You're not walking in love. You're not walking in the Spirit. You're walking in the flesh. amazing. Acts chapter 7. 
go to Acts chapter 7, verse 59. I want to show you a love here that a man, a man had a love beyond my wildest imaginations. But this is where God commands us to walk in love. Think about this story in Acts chapter 7, verse 59. I have never, ever, ever even come close to this kind of persecution. And have I ever been angry at somebody? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't have to undergo near this much to get angry. You know, so, but look at where we're supposed to be. And they stoned Stephen in Acts seven fifty-nine. Stoned him. Now, they wasn't throwing little bitty rocks at him either. When they stoned you to kill you, you know, when I was a kid, you know, at the playground, every once in a while we'd pick up little rocks and we'd throw them at each other. You ever done that when you was a kid, Bobby? You, some of your other friends that throw rocks at you always tried to dock. If you ever got hit one of them, you got cut open, didn't you? Like a dummy when we'd go to the house. Oh, mother, look at this. Johnny hit me in the head with a rock. Johnny, what did you mean throwing rocks at Thurman? Well, he'd throw 35 at me before I throwed one at him. That's true. You know, that's true. You know, so, you know, but I got hit. You know, nobody was saying nothing until one of us got hurt. And that's the way it is. But he says, And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then look what he said. And he knelt down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he died. Here's these people are stoning him. They are trying to kill him. And he says, Lord, forgive them. Lay not this to their charge. I wonder how many of us could do that. I mean, just somebody comes over and starts reading you the riot act, and you want to get you want to get a rock and throw it at them. Isn't that the God kind of love, daughter? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's difficult to walk in the God kind of love, isn't it? Sometimes, yes, it is. But that's what God tells us to do. Here is a man that did it. Here's a man that they're stoning and stoned him and killed him, and as he he knows his life flow is leaving him from these big stones they're hitting him in the head with. And as he falls on his knees, I can see him now. Lord, forgive them. Do not lay this to their charge. Wow. You talk about the God kind of love. You want to know why Stephen walked in power? You want to know why when he prayed for people, cerebral palsy, people got healed and all kinds of things? Because he had the God kind of love walking in him. That's why he could do what he could do. Stephen, full of the Spirit and power, went about casting out demons, healing the sick. The palsy were healed and all kinds of wonderful things when Stephen spoke and rebuked demons. Is it any wonder the devil wanted to kill him? He's casting them out, getting them healed. So sure, he want, the devil wants to get rid of him and he's doing a good job doing it. Then chapter 3, Verse 9. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Uh, see where I went. Oh, excuse me. No, First Peter. I'm sorry. I went to First Peter. I should have put that on the next page where it would have been a little easier for me to see. First Peter chapter 3, verse 9. 
1 Peter 3, 9. 1 Peter 3, 9. Not rendering or returning evil for evil. Or railing for railing, but contrarywise a blessing. Knowing that you are therefore called that you should inherit a blessing. Now then, when you get a hold of this, it makes it a little easier to bless somebody when you know that a blessing is going to come back to you. So when they're there reading you the right act or treating you like dirt, calling you crazy, stupid things or names or whatever like people do today, you know, calling you all kinds of names, making fun of you or everything else, you just say, I want to speak a blessing over you guys. Lord, in the name of Jesus, would you please bless these guys? Bless them with knowledge and wisdom and love and understanding. They said, what's wrong with you? You're crazy. What God says is going to come back to you? Exactly what you say. Let me tell you a story. I know a man. This man was a Baptist preacher. And years ago, and he was married to a woman, and they had several children over the years. And I don't know what he did that really made her so angry. But she got so angry at him one day, she told him, she said, I am fed up with you. I want a divorce. I hate you. And he said, well, honey, I don't understand. I love you. And she said, I hate you. I, I hope you find another woman, and I hope she's meaner than hell, and I hope she beats the hell out of you every day. And his wife said that to him. And he said, honey, I'm so sorry. I don't know what has happened to you, but if you do leave me, I hope you find a great man that will love you and be good to you. And I bless you with that in the name of Jesus. And man, she stormed out of that room and she went and filed a divorce and she left him. Well, let me tell you, she married a man that was meaner than the devil himself, and he beat the hell out of her on a regular basis. What she said she wished happened to him happened to her. And he married a woman that was the most wonderful, pleasant. He said, I didn't know there was a woman in the world this good. Isn't it amazing? God shall not be mocked. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. So be careful what comes out of your mouth. Be very careful what comes out of your mouth because you're going to reap what you sow. And it don't make no difference whether you believe God's real or not. His Word's real, and that's what every one of us on this earth are judged around every day is the written Word of the living God. makes no difference whether you believe it. It's still there, and He's still God. Can you imagine, just like that uh, DVD we watched the other night about the people that were in hell, and when Jesus would walk through, they would beg and plead, Lord, give me a chance. Lord, I'll serve you now. I will do what you say. And it said, Jesus in his compassion would look and say, Father. And the Father would say, no. Judgment has been set. It's done. It's over. You think about the compassion in his heart for these people that's there. He would still love to save them. But the Father says, no. You've made your decision. Wow. I think how awesome this is.
verse 10, says, For he that will love life. Now, how many of you would love life? Hey, I love life. For he that will love life. Well, he must be fixing to tell us something, Miss Billy. For he that will love life, there must be a requirement. Let's see what it is. For he that will love life and see good days. Now, I don't know about you, but I love good days. Don't you? Hey, this is getting better. Uh-oh, let him refrain his tongue from evil. And his lips that they speak, no guile. Now then, would you like to have a long, good, loving life and see good days? Well, then you're going to have to do what that says. Because what if you go out here and start wagging your lips and your tongue and talking evil about someone? You know, and of course they may have done something really bad to you. It makes no difference. They may deserve it from your standpoint of view. But you're talking evil about that person, cutting them down, saying all kinds of things. Guess what's going to happen to your life? It ain't going to be long and it's not going to be pain free. Isn't that amazing? For he that will love life, and I love life. But I love life when life is good. And see good days. I mean, it's not, it's, if you're laying there in excruciating pain and suffering, or you're in a hospital with cancer, it's difficult to love life. You know that? It's not loving. Many a person I've seen that get in their last days, they get to hurting, and so they say, I am ready to hang this up and go to the house. Get out of this piece of flesh. Well, let me tell you if, you, if you do what God says and walk holy and obedient to his word, you won't have to have those bad days. The king said it right there. Do you think he meant what he said? I know he meant what he said. He is God and we are his children. So, I think about this man that was really hurting and in bad pain. And uh, he had been to Vietnam, and he got uh, shot up pretty bad over there. And he come back to church, and he walked in the church, and he said, I shook my fist at God. I said, God, you either heal me, and you either make, take this pain away from me, or I'm going to do something serious to you. <laughs> and he said, I literally heard through the halls of that church, I heard God laugh. What can we in our stupid little flesh do to God? Nothing. You can't tell him nothing. He's God. Give me a break. You know how easy it would be for God to vaporize me and you right now, Cliff? That's all it would take. There wouldn't even be an ash left on the ground, would there? I mean, he could, he, he, he could do exceedingly abundantly above all we can even think or imagine. He is God. So don't, don't think you can tell God what to do. Walk in love and then love him and then he will do great things for you. In verse 11 he says, Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. Now this is, again, this is going along with those that would love life and see good days. Get as far from evil as you can. Do good. 
to everybody. Do good. And seek peace and then ensue it. Make it one of your number one goals to walk in obedience to the Word. And if you'll do that, you can walk in health. Verse 12, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and His ears are open unto their prayers. But the faith of the Lord is against them that do evil. Can you be a Christian and do evil? Yes. Can the, can the face of the Lord be against you as a Christian? And when you do evil, can he do that, Miss Billy? He can, can't he? I mean to tell you. I mean to tell you. You can be a Christian and you can go against what God says in his word. And as far as God is concerned, that is evil. And he can turn a demon loose on you and terrible things can happen to you. And a lot of us have seen it, haven't we? Yes, we have. And some of us have seen it happen, and when we find out what it is we're doing wrong, and when we repent, we see God instantly heal us. We've seen it, and we're grateful for that too, aren't we, Miss Billy? Amen. I mean, praise God. So that leads down to this list of stuff. What are we supposed to do? What God said do. Walk in love. Walk in obedience. Don't return evil for evil. Walk in this love. And do what he says. And then he says, if you will do what I say. If I tell you to do something, he says, do it. Don't say, well, God, I'll do it next week or next month. No, if he tells you to do something, you better do it right now. If he tells you to straighten up and quit doing something you're doing, you better straighten up right now. Because he might not tell you but two or three times, and he might just take you out. And I ain't ready to go home yet. Are you, Rico? Not yet. I want to serve him some more. I love serving here on this earth. I love seeing the king do these wonderful things. Then, let's go to James chapter 1, verse 22. James 1, 22. James chapter 1, verse 22. Now, in 1 Peter 3, in verses 9, 10, 11, 12, we saw some pretty serious requirements that we got to do if we want to walk in health. And those are requirements that we got to do if we want to love life and see good days. And good days and loving life does not include sickness and disease. It includes health. But James chapter 1, verse 22. James 1, 22, Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Be ye doers of the word? What does it mean to be a doer of the word? Hey, yeah, you're supposed to be a hearer and a doer. You're supposed to act on the Word. You're supposed to do good things for people. I think about people that were doers of the Word. Whenever Cheryl uh, had this Christ Haven thing for Christmas for all those children, that I think of the people that became doers of the Word. I mean, we had people do everything imaginable. People gave money. They gave gifts. They gave time. They gave of themselves. They'd done everything. They cooked. They made everything imaginable. Christian people that we know done great and wonderful things and gave of their time. And that turned out to be the greatest Christmas them children have ever had in their life. There's probably some rich kids didn't have as much stuff for Christmas as that bunch of children had this year. I mean, they were blessed beyond their wildest dreams. And the beautiful part about it is, like Cheryl, 
Always does, every year. She gives it to them kids. As Santa Claus hands it out, it's all given in the name of Jesus. Nothing comes from Santa Claus here. He's here to pass this stuff out. But all these presents come in the name of our Savior Jesus. Jesus is the one who did it. And through his people, these blessings are coming to you. Now, if you do those kind of things, God, what did God say you're going to receive this year for that? You're going to receive a blessing. That's what he says. You're going to be blessed. Some people say, well, I ain't got time to help them crazy kids. Well, let me tell you, you better be careful. You're treading on very thin ice. You know. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and then he goes his way, and straightway he forgets what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, continue in it. You look into this perfect law of liberty that God's given us. He's given us freedom in Christ. Now, a lot of people think they have freedom to sin as Christians, but that's not what he's talking about. You are not free to sin as a Christian. And if you continue to live like that, you are going to suffer a persecution from God. And you ain't going to like it because he's going to send the devil. An evil spirit from the Lord will come and torment you if you don't walk in obedience to his rules. And them things ain't no fun, are they, brother? No, they ain't no fun. But whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Now, I like that, don't you? Absolutely. So, you look at the law and it says, do good things for people. Well, we've been reading all kinds of things under God's perfect law of liberty. Love people. Walk holy before God. Keep yourself pure and clean. Go do things for others. Bless them. Do wonderful things for people. And he says, as you do this, he said, then you will be blessed. You will be blessed. Did you know the Lord has said in his word in the book of Proverbs, <clears throat> he says, a man that is stingy and withholds will die in poverty. But a man that freely gives away what little he has will die with plenty. Isn't that amazing how that works? How you can try to hold on to every penny and get it over and keep it in your bank and don't share a dime with nobody and then one day when you die you ain't got nothing. And you didn't get on rewards in heaven either. But you help people, you give people things, and you do all these kind of things. He said, that man will die with plenty of money. Isn't that amazing? Why don't we believe the Word of God? Just like in this ministry, when I started this ministry, I said, Lord, if what I'm doing is really you, you told me to give and it shall be given to you. So I started out in the ministry taking my money that God had given me out of my investments and in buying equipment and tapes and making them and giving them away. Now, I spent about $50,000 before a single dime ever came back in. Do you think I was serious, Sharon? Yeah, I was really serious. 
Somebody said, I can't believe you took out $50,000 of money you had invested and give it to God. Let me tell you, best thing I ever done. Best thing I ever done. When he did start bringing things in, he started bringing people to me to help me. He started sending money to me. And this ministry, from the day God started bringing people in, and I started the ministry, did you know I have never asked a person for not one single penny, and this ministry has never been in the red. Never. I always have enough money every week to pay everybody and to buy everything we need. It makes no matter what it is, whether it's whether we need $5,000 worth of CDs and DVDs this week or $1,000 worth, or whether I've got five people working for me or 20, it makes no difference. Every week, there's enough money shows up to pay everybody. Isn't that amazing? Never have to worry about nothing. And I can remember one time when all my VCRs were getting old, when we used, and I said, Lord, I've got to have a whole bunch of VCRs. We were sending out thousands of videotapes. I said, Lord, I went and priced these things. And I needed, with the distribution amplifiers and everything, I needed $10,000. I thought, wow, Lord, that's a lot of money, $10,000. But I said, I know you got lots of money. So I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, I need the money, $10,000, to buy all these new VCRs. You know? And we were going to buy 100 of them. I mean, and build these racks and distribution amplifiers and everything was going to cost about ten grand. So I didn't go to the mailbox for three or four days. I thought, I'll wait because I usually get four or five letters a day back in those days. And I said, if I wait three or four or five days, I'll have a several in there and I might get a few dollars, you know, that'll come close to what I need. God is so awesome. You know, I waited those three or four days and went to the mailbox and opened the mailbox and there was one letter in the mailbox. One. I said, okay, God, I need $10,000. One check, one letter. Okay. I know you know what's going on. If that, if, if whatever is there, I'm just going to praise you and thank you for it. I took that little envelope out, tore it open, opened it up. One check, $10,000. Isn't that awesome? Isn't God awesome? I mean, he, that's the way He pays our bills. And then here a while back when we needed all them new printers and all them new towers, a guy called me from New Jersey. And he said, Thurman, uh, do you need anything in the ministry? I said, well, yes. I said, we're needing, you know, we're going to buy some new towers and some new printers and so we can print these DVDs. He said, what's all that going to cost? I said, well, I really don't know yet. But I said, I'm checking to get the best deal. But it looks like we're going to spend a between eight and $10,000 on this stuff. He said, well, when you find out what you want, call me and I'll see what I can do to help you. Well, this guy had helped us with $1,000 or 1500 before. So I thought, man, you know, he can, he's really a, a good giver. And so about three days ago, he called me and said, you found out what you wanted yet? And I said, well, not yet. But I said, you know, I'll call you as soon as I find out. Well, a few days later, I had it all together and I called him and I said, sir, I've got it all down here. Here's everything I need. And the total price for everything is $9,460. That's for the whole thing. I said, anything you can help me with, we'll certainly appreciate it. He said, I'll talk to my wife and we'll call you back. About a couple hours later, he called back and said, you know, I talked to my wife. We decided that we, you have blessed us so much that we put a, already an express mail check 
in the mail. You'll have it in the morning personally. And it's $9,460. And at one check. He paid for everything. All the new towers, all the new printers, everything. He paid for all of it. When you got a God like that, what else you need? Isn't that amazing? You don't need nothing else. So I don't sweat it when I go to the post office if there's not but one letter in there. I know what God can do in one letter. You know? So I don't sweat it. I go to say, Lord, thank you. So we take that money, we, we buy, pay all the bills, and our little ministry has never been in the red. And yet, if somebody calls us, Africa, call, Africa never sends a dime. Never. The people in Africa have no money. But we send Bibles and materials, and it costs me more money. Of course, the Lord, I guess, his business. It costs him more money to send a box of CDs and DVDs down there than it costs for us to make them and to buy the material. The postage is higher than anything else. It cost us $8.10 for every single Bible we send down there. Postage. $8.10 postage. But people call and say, we need a Bible. We box it up and send it down there. $8.10. We have a company that gives us these 15 or 16 or $18 Bibles by the box. They give us the Bibles. All we got to do is pay the postage. And we send them to Africa. So... But we, we send it knowing we're never going to get a dime back. They're so poor down there. When, when a man in a Bible school says, would you please send me a Bible? I'm in Bible school and I don't even have a Bible. Would you send me one? Guess what we do? No, we can't send you one. No, we send them one. Every time we send them one. The other day, Phil and Krista come in and says, now we do all of our own postage right there in the ministry center. We do it right on the internet, but we can't do international. So the other day, Phil and Krista, with the Bibles we were sending, the stuff that was going just to Africa and foreign countries, the postage that one day cost $160 just postage to send what we sent just to Africa. We sent all the stuff free and postpaid. And then you turn around and uh, next day or a day after that, you know, you spend $160 and you go to the mailbox and open it up and there's you a check for $2,000. You think, God, you're so awesome. Or $500 or whatever. You know, he just blesses your socks off. And all you got to do is just realize, hey, you can't outgive God. When you do what he says in this book, you cannot outgive the king. Can you, Cliff? Nope. Ain't no way. The Lord says if we'll do these things, if we look upon that perfect law of liberty and continue therein, he being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. And he blesses every one of us that does that. Then he says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, this is the final verse tonight. We're going to quit on this. Listen to Matthew seven twelve. Matthew 7, 12. I'll give you time to get there because I want you to see it. Matthew 7, 12. I want you to look at this verse. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Therefore, a few of the things you do. Oh. What did he say, honey? Therefore, all things whatsoever you do. Does that mean in your work and as you walk down the street, when you go into the supermarket, when you go, uh, when you're baking a cake for someone, 
when you're working, when you're lying down, when you're doing everything you're doing. All things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do you so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So how should you treat another brother? Like you want to be treated. Is that right? If we treat everybody like we want to be treated, what will God do for us, Bobby? He will bless our socks off, won't he? Do good things to other people. I thought last night as I was talking to uh, Scott, Cheryl's son, we were talking about something and he had taken a couple of pieces of equipment that he had and he needed a little money so he took his $500 table saw and he put it in hock for a couple of months. Now, they gave him $100 for a $500 saw. Don't that sound like a real deal, don't you? But they give him two months to pay to pick it up. But when you pick it up, you've got to have $140 to pick it up. So they charge him $40 interest for two months for $100. Wow. Is that doing... Are those people meeting the criteria of the Word of God? Not hardly. Are they going to be blessed? No. Are those people... Going to probably die in poverty? Yes. If you really want to be blessed, you give somebody something. When you give it to them, don't loan it to them. Give it to them. When you give it to them, God says, if you give it with nothing, expecting nothing in return, He says, I will bless your socks off. We don't do a very good job of that, do we? Oh, well, yeah, so you come to me and say, I need to borrow a hundred dollars. Okay, what do you got for collateral? <laughs> you got any, can I hold your driver's license to your car, Deborah, if I loan you a hundred dollars? Isn't that amazing? You somebody comes to me and says, I got to have a hundred dollars. I mean, I, I am out of money, you know, I can't pay my bill. I'll, I'll do the best I can to pay you back in two or three weeks. But I am really, really down. And I've got to have $100. If i got $100, you know what I'll do? I'll give you $100. I'll give it to you. You know, I don't want it back. I just give it to you. Because guess what? When I give, what's God going to do to me? He's going to bless me. Yes, He is. He's going to bless me. Yeah. And, you know, it looks like... Some, I've talked about our gas wells a long time. We finally got the first check on our gas wells the other day. And it looks like that although I didn't know what I was doing, I got taken to the cleaners. There's no two ways about it. These two big gas wells are producing tons of natural gas. But we're in a big pool with a whole lot of other people. And I could have had a whole lot more of it if I only knew what I was doing whenever I signed that contract. But it says... The wise man seeks the counsel of many wise men, and I didn't do that, so I got tucked to the cleaners. But still, out of all of it, it looks like Cheryl and I are going to get about $2,500 a month on the gas well. Now, I mean, you know, that's not a lot of money, but, you know, that's just $2,500 sharing we didn't have before. Yeah. Is that awesome? Yeah. yeah, see, that's not bad. But see, I could have had, I could have had 10000 a month if I'd have known what I was doing. See, I could have had easy 10000 a month. 
If I only knew what I was doing, it's signed the right kind of... Some of the other people around me that knew what they were doing, they're getting that kind of money. I, they knew what they were doing. I didn't know what I... I just signed the bottom line, and I got taken to the cleaners. Do what? Oh, I already did. I already did. I've already talked to him. And you know what he says? You should, you should have done what I said in the Word. <laughs> You should have done what I, I told you in the Word. Wise men seek the counsel of many wise men. And you didn't seek nobody's counsel. You just signed the line. So now then, son, you're going to... I mean, you know, enjoy the 2500 I mean, that's nice. Right? I mean, we can do a lot of things on $2,500 a month that money we didn't have. This is just personal money. We can use any way we want to. Yeah. So it makes it nice to have that 2500 coming in. But, you know, I, I get upset at myself thinking I could have had 10000 you know, but anyway, thank you, Lord. I ain't grumbling. Don't get me wrong, Lord. I ain't grumbling. Oh, no, Lord, I'm not grumbling. I ain't going there. Thank you, Lord. Father, we want to do great things for your kingdom. We, want, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. And we're so grateful, Lord, for the things you do. And, Lord, I am grateful for that 2500 a month that you're sending us from that gas well, Lord. That is so magnificently wonderful, Lord. That, that, that'll just, oh, Lord, that's, you know, that's, Oh, I'm going to trust you that even maybe those gas wells will pump more at times. But still, Lord, the 2500 a month, I'm so grateful. I'm so happy with it. I can put that in my personal bank account, and I can use that to help people and to buy things. Because, Lord, I don't have any needs. I really don't. Lord, all my property's paid for. My house is paid for. My car is paid for. My Chrysler's paid for. And, Lord, it, we're going to take some of that money and pay off our Suburban and it's nearly paid for. It won't be long, just a few months. We'll be totally, completely out of debt. And Lord, we thank you for blessing us so magnificently wonderful. And Lord, we want to be a blessing to others as we go through this life. So Lord, thank you for this evening. Thank you for your word. And Lord, as we hear this word and as we yield to this word to walk in it, let us be a blessing to everybody. All of us. I'm talking about the church now. All of us. Let us be a blessing to everybody that we come in contact with this week. And, Lord, we praise you and thank you for the privilege of being your children. In Jesus' name, amen.